How many know that God has a habit of taking all of the years of your past and, uh, and bringing them together as a platform for your future. God has this incredible ability to take all of your successes and, and failures, all of the highs and the lows, and, uh, and baking them into a pie that's going to create a, a feast moving forward, not just for you, but for others. What, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to drop in and just see how he does this. And the reason why I want to do it, and the reason I hope that you follow along with me, is because I guess you have a past, right? Everybody here has a past, and, um, and in that past, you had some tough times. Some of you here might think you had more than your fair share of tough times. You had some good times. And some of you here might think, well, you've, maybe you've had more than your fair share of good times. Uh, but, but the truth is for all of us, no matter how high or how uh, difficult the past has been, um, God has this amazing ability to take that stuff, to bring it together so that it becomes a, a, a platform from which you can move forward, not just that, but also a means by which the world, people around you will be encouraged, will be blessed. So if you want God to take your past, no matter what it's been, and create a future out of it that's going to be a blessing to you and a blessing to others, I encourage you over these next 35 minutes or so that you lean in, listen, you might want to take your notes because we're going to dive into a, uh, a really profound account written by a fellow by the name of John. He was an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. He, he saw Jesus crucified. He was there at the cross. He saw him resurrected from the dead. Um, and many years later, he's the only eyewitness disciple still alive. And he's encouraged by people to write down what he saw because he was getting old. He knew that he didn't have too long left and he didn't want what he had seen and what he had experienced to die with him. So he wrote it out and that account is called the Gospel of John. And we're going to focus in today on the very last chapter of that. The resurrection is, is, is history now. Uh, as obviously Easter's just passed, so it's rather poignant. Um, and by the way, we just read John 21. If you're following on our reading, guys, we just read it a little over a week ago. Um, uh, they've, uh, uh, th- these guys are, are still a little unsure about the whole thing. They still haven't been able to get their head around that Jesus is risen from the dead. They weren't expecting him to rise from the dead. Uh, no one was expecting him to rise from the dead. Um, and we say every Easter, when they went to the tomb, nobody was expecting nobody. Boom, boom. And uh, <laughs> think about that. And, uh, and, so they, uh, and so they're kind of just trying to come to grips with what this resurrection of Jesus Christ actually means. And when God's not doing what you want him to do, what do we tend to do? When God isn't behaving as we think he should, <laughs> what we have a... a, a an inclination to do is to um, lean to our strength. We go and do what it is that we think we're good at. We say, well, blow you guy, I'm just going to do things myself. And for Peter, it was very much fishing. Peter grew up around boats. He grew up around nets. The Sea of Galilee, his father was a fisherman. Probably his grandfather was a fisherman. They'd made their, their living. They, they were successful fishermen. And so Peter knew boats. So he decides, I'm going fishing. Being the leader that he is, he's going fishing, and the other boys decide, well, if you go fishing, we're following as well. So they're all in the boat, they're fishing. Again, they've been fishing all night, they've caught nothing. 
And Jesus turns up on the shores of Galilee. And he calls out to them, throw in your nets on the other side. Now, this would have been a moment of deja vu, right? Because it happened before. In Luke 5, for those of you who have studied the Gospels, uh, this is the second time they've fished all night, caught nothing, and Jesus turns up. And so... um, and so uh, Jesus calls out to them, you know, cast your net on the other side. And they go, oh, we've been here before. We've done this before, you know. So they cast their net on the other side. They pull in the net. And guess what? Yeah, we can, we can, we can bank on this. It's filled with fish. Uh, this is a really profound moment, actually. This is not just about a boat full of fish. This is not just about a group of men fishing. Jesus is communicating something profound to these men but he's also communicating something really important to us and I I hope you're going to pick it up in a moment because this is potentially life-changing he's leveraging this moment their vocation to communicate not just their role but the role of the church you see he already told them I will make you fishers of men and here they are now in the in the sea or on the sea in their boats bringing fish out of the water and and in ancient times language is symbolism right uh we 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 know that and in ancient times the ocean or the sea was symbolic it communicated a a sense of death it was disorder chaos uncertainty darkness And, and what he was saying was you translate fish from darkness to light that's what you do when you catch a fish you bring it from the depths of the ocean and of course, back then, the oceans were untried, unknown territory, as many of the great depths of the ocean still are today, as a matter of fact, interestingly enough. But, uh, but, but in ancient times, there was almost a superstition around it. Uh, it was darkness, it was unknown, and whenever things are dark and unknown and uncontrollable, you're always suspicious of them. And so that was what the, the concept of the ocean or, or the sea meant to these people. And so taking fish from the sea, he says, I'm going to make you fishes of men. So we're not talking about fish. He says, you are going to translate men from darkness to light, from chaos to order, from hopelessness to hope. This is your objective. This is the role. This is what I'm calling you to do. This is the job description, if you will, to take those take people from the community of chaos and bring them into the community of order. Now, this is not just the individual's job. They didn't have alvey fishing reels back then. Uh, they fished with nets. And fishing was a, a, a group sport, right? You needed you know, more than one person to pull the net in, the kind of nets that they had. It wasn't a, it wasn't a singular activity. It was a group activity. That's really important. Because many times, you know, we read particularly our new translations. For example, it says, you are the soul of the earth. But that's actually not true. You are not the soul of the earth. It says, you are the light of the world. But that's uh, effectively not true. Uh, Ye are the light of the world. The older translations differentiate between the, the, the ye and the the. New translations just say you. The the is a singular. The ye is a plural right 
So it's kind of like y'all or use. Right? That's, the, that's the notion behind That's like God saying, y'all are the soul of the earth, right? There's some Southern American thing, I don't know, but... But that, that's, that's the idea. It's a, it's a ye. It's not a singular. It's a plural. So you aren't the salt of the earth on your own, but you, yous, are the salt of the earth. Right? You aren't the light of the world on your own, but yous are the light of the earth. You see, um, we, he describes us as a city on a hill. And as a city on a hill, uh, we are a community. Uh, and, and what you... Ta- you can't have a community with one person. There's got to be more than one person. And that, that term city on a hill is a very chosen, uh, specifically chosen metaphor. Um, if we're going to be a city, what we have to be is this. And uh, let, let me just clarify this. It's important as we get to the, the, the meat of this. Um, uh, as a city, we, we need to make sure that we're not too mono-ethnic that there's a every great city there there is a multi-ethnic flavor to it right it's not just all made up of the same type of people and we don't ever want to be just all the same type of people right the same kind of age or the the, the same kind of ethnicity or the same kind of perspective that there's got to be a sense in which we are made up of all different stratas and all different types of the society how many know that the community of this world, they use things like their money, um, their sexuality, it's all used for themselves. Uh, if, if Whatever money I get, it's mine. I worked hard for it, it's for me. Uh, if I give a little bit of charity, then you know, that's because I'm such a good guy. Uh, my sexuality, it's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about building me. Uh, the community of this world is fundamentally generated by a really large I, the me world. Whereas the kingdom of this God, the kingdom of God, the community of the Lord, right? Which is what we are supposed to be, uh, those anyway in this room who would define themselves as Christian. If you would define yourself as part of the church, not in the sense of this building, but in the sense of the body of Christ, the living, breathing body of Christ. Then for us, it's not about personal security and individual happiness. It's about personal vulnerability and community wealth, health. It's about personal vulnerability and community health. It's not about am I happy? It's about are we healthy, right? It's not about am I protected, It's about, hey, I'm prepared to be vulnerable for the health of the community. That's the kingdom of this, of this, uh, of of God. And it's a direct opposite. It's the antitype of the kingdom of this world. Because the kingdom of this world is all about the individual pursuit of happiness and about the protection of myself. Right? Jesus was nailed to a cross. He was vulnerable. Right? His arms were open. (laughs) That is a position of vulnerability. This is a, this is a position of self-protection. This is a position of vulnerability. Jesus was, was in a position of vulnerability. His arms are wide open. That is a symbol of his people. A position of vulnerability. Arms wide open. And when you think about it, right? I'm getting deep into the symbolism of the story. When you think about it, you've got this boat on the, uh, on the, uh, the, the sea, right? Uh, and in the boat, uh, you have the church. You have 
Nathaniel. In fact, if you want to read, you can see in the story, it names them. You have Nathaniel. What is the characteristic of Nathaniel? Nathaniel saw Jesus, or I should say Jesus said, Nathaniel, I saw you under the tree. And Nathaniel said, oh man, wow, you're a prophet, I believe. So Nathaniel was somebody who maybe was a bit superstitious, was gullible, who would believe. And you had Thomas. And Thomas said, these two guys both get named, right? Thomas said, I'm believing nothing. <laughs> I don't believe that I can personally touch the nail scars in his hands. You have Nathaniel at this end, Thomas at the other end, but they're both in the boat. You have John, who's writing this, who was the first to note Jesus. John is always thinking. John is on the ball in the mind. But then you got Peter. Peter is always acting. When you read the story, John is first to see Jesus. Peter is the first to act as a result of knowing Jesus is there. Peter dives out of the boat and swims in. And John's a thinkers. You know, they're a little deep. They're a little reflective. Peter's, they're initiators. They're actors. They're in. And the two don't normally get on. Those two types of people don't normally get on all that well. This guy thinks this one's a stick in the mud. This one thinks this guy's, you know, a, a little um, uh, impetuous and, and a, bit, a bit shallow. And, and so you've got, you got all these people that are named in the boat that are not what you would call a homogenous group of people in terms of, their, uh, in terms of the type of individuals they are. But they constitute the church. They constitute the people of God and their role is to take people outside of that community and bring, where of darkness, of chaos, of disorder, of uncertainty and bring them into a community of love, forgiveness and acceptance. You see that? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. No, no, I thought it was brilliant. No, 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 no. So, um... So now it gets, it, gets, it gets interesting now, all right? So stay with me because we're about to go, we're about to get really interesting because Peter's on the, on, the, uh, on the shore, they've all come in, they've got all the fish, they've had kippers for breakfast, tummies are full, right? And, and now it gets a little awkward. Now Jesus enters into a conversation with Peter. Jesus is about to bring stuff up that's just not what you bring up in public, and, uh, and when you read the narrative, you see that Peter and Jesus don't take a, like a, a walk along the beach for an hour and a half. Uh, they stay there. And Jesus enters into a conversation with Peter that there was a moment in this conversation where Peter just wants to die, where Peter just wishes, Jesus, just go away, go away. I'm sure that's how he would have felt as, as, you, as you read this. And, and uh, if you've ever felt hurt um, by Jesus then uh, you're in good company. Let, let, let's have a look how this conversation unfolds because it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, it says, when they had finished eating, right, so they've caught all the fish, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, um, do you love me more than these? And, uh, and Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my lambs um, this uh, interaction between Jesus and, and Peter Peter do you love me yes he says I love you what, what he's saying is this <clears throat> Peter see this fishing over here see these fish these nets these boats 
these things that are cultural distinctives of your success? Do you love me more than these? And that's a profound question, not just to Peter. That's a profound question to anybody in this room who would define themselves as the follower of Jesus Christ. Because it's very easy, isn't it, to get welded onto um, icons of cultural success. Uh, Things that give us status. Things that make us feel important in whatever our community might happen to be. Things that give us a sense of satisfaction. Things that give us a sense of value. And we all have them, folks. Let's be honest. We all have them at some point or another. Uh, Things that give us our identity. Peter was a fisherman. Uh, His family was from a long line of fishing. And and so that that, that was his pathway of success. And Jesus is looking at Peter and he's saying, Peter, do you love me more than cultural distinctives, cultural definitions of success? It's a profound question and it's one that we all should actually contemplate. It's one we all should give some deep and self-reflective thinking to. Um, And he responds, yes. And then Jesus says, okay, all right. Well, if you say yes, then feed my lambs. Now, let's just think about this for a minute because it's not feed the dogs or feed the cats. (laughs) And that would be so much better. Do you know why? Because if you feed a dog, a dog will love you, won't it? (laughs) How many of you here have relationships with your dogs Mikan? you know what i'm saying <laughs> like it's like members of the family yeah and you feed the dog and the dog <laughs> jumps all over you pat the dog and you know, i just love my dog and my dog loves me and we've got this great relationship me and the dog you know and even cats look down on you a little bit but they do appreciate <laughs> being fed don't they you know i mean you know it might go well you've been a bit late today but i will eat the food anyhow <laughs> All right, just make sure tomorrow. But, but, but there will, you'll get something from the cat. You know what I'm saying? Uh, feed a lamb, you get nothing. Right? Feed a lamb, the lamb forgets about you, frolics off until it's hungry again. <laughs> In other words, you love me? Then I'm going to send you out to look after people. You ain't going to love you back. That's a sign of whether or not you love me. Anybody can feed the dog because the dog, or anyone can feed those who feed them back at some level of appreciation, but lambs. And the other thing is, it's not my lambs. It's not my lambs, they're his lambs. So it's not the sheep, they're not my sheep, not my kind of lambs, right? Not my kind of people, not the kind of people that I would hang with. Right, not you know, middle-aged, you know, white Australian males or whatever it might happen to be. Not my kind of people, uh, but they're his kind of people. Not just my family. You know, I can hang with my family. I can, I can, you know, um, spend money on my family. I can take my family for a meal. Very easy to do, because these are my people. Right, I can pray for my children and my children's children and, and, and so forth because they are my people. It's not my lambs he's talking about. They're his lambs. How many in this room know it's relatively simple to, to look after your own lambs? 
to look after your own affairs, to look after your family or look after your homogenous group. But Jesus says, do you love me more than cultural distinctives of success? Then you'll look after people who won't love you back and they won't be people like you. They'll be my people, not yours. Let me characterize it with this phrase. Can you go to people who don't make you feel good because they're not your kind of people, but you can lift them up just the same? That's what he's saying. If you love me, then this is the distinctive of your love. You'll be able to go to people who are not in your income bracket, they're not in your social stratus, that they're not in your gender or, 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 or ethnic group, and you'll be able to lift them up and expect nothing in return because you love me. You get that? And he goes on and says this. He says again, Jesus says to Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says again, well, take care of my sheep. And, and again, the, the, the whole of, uh, of shepherding, pastoring, caring for people. And I want to encourage you this morning that that's not anybody's job. That's our job, right? That's not the job of a pastor per se. That is the job of a believer. One of the reasons why we have small groups in our, in our church is because that's where pastoring happens. That's where people get to know your name. That's where people get to know your circumstances. That's where people get to understand where you're coming from and pray for you. If you love me, more than these cultural distinctives of success, you'll get involved and you'll care for my sheep. But Jesus doesn't hold back. He goes in for a third time. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says here, Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt. <laughs> wow. He's the compassionate, loving God. Just hurt him. Have you ever been hurt by someone in a one-on-one -on -one conversation? When they hurt you, what do you want to do? <laughs> I want to thump them. <laughs> huh? Maybe that's what you. Maybe you're an aggressive person. That's what you want to do. Maybe you just want to disappear. Maybe you want to just walk away. That's it. I'm hurt. Conversation's over. I'm done. I'm, I'm out of here. You, you've all been there. If you've been married for more than ten minutes, uh, <laughs> well, three weeks, whatever the case may happen to be. Uh, <laughs> Where, where, where somebody says something and you get hurt. And you know, what are you going to do with this hurt? How are you going to... Well, Jesus hurts Peter. Wow. There's grace. There's all the fish. Now here's truth. Ouch. Grace and truth. Here it is again. It's everywhere, isn't it? When you start seeing... Let's just see it everywhere. And uh, Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? <laughs> Lord, gosh. <laughs> quit with the questions I've had enough Lord you know all things you know that I love you go away <laughs> leave me alone see Jesus went there I, 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 I don't know if I would have gone there I certainly wouldn't want I, I certainly don't want him to go there with me but he does and he's going to go there with you if he hasn't already you know, we can live lives where peace at any cost. Don't mention the war, you know. I mentioned it once, I think we got away with it. Don't mention the war. <laughs> How many know that just a few days earlier, Peter had denied Jesus three times, right? Do you know him? No, I don't. Do you know him? No, I don't. Do you know him? No, I don't. 
Jesus comes back and says, do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I, I know what he's doing. <laughs> I know where he's going with this. Do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. In Mark 14, 29, Peter makes this statement. When Jesus prophesied, Jesus says, you know, you guys, you're going to deny me. You're going you're to leave me. And Peter says, right, cop this. Peter says, not me, Jesus. <laughs> that lot, <laughs> check them out. They will. <laughs> but not me. What's he saying? I'm better than them. That's what he's saying. I'm better than they are. Jesus, you got it wrong. Oh, look at that lot. My goodness, no doubt that lot will deny you. Just change it. Look at them. They're useless. But Jesus, not this little black duck, not this boy. I will never deny you. Right? You, you, I want to take you here. It's not going to be pleasant, but here's the point. Peter had marinated in the juices of his own self-justification for so long he couldn't see the darkness of his own heart and nor can I that's the human condition you see the reason why you have pain in your past and the reason why God, or I should say, the reason uh, why God needs to get into that to bring you to your future is because the recognition comes of how deep the forgiveness of God in your life actually is. You see, most of us spend 90% of the day marinating in our self-righteousness. Oh, that lot don't do this and that lot don't do that and that lot are no good and they're stupid and oh, the boss is hopeless and oh, you know, they can't give that. And we complain and every time we complain, what we're saying is they're not as clever, they're not as smart, they're not as insightful as me. And what we're doing is we're adding a little bit more self-righteous into the Kool-Aid that, <laughs> that we're drinking and we get drunk on our own self-righteousness. And Peter was drunk on this day on his own self-righteousness, just like me. May I say, just like us all. And what God had to do, what Jesus had to do, was to bring him face to face with the blackness of his own soul. Because you know what you do? You compare. And we're going to see how this comes through in Peter in just a moment. This was in, you know, it was like, oh, I'm not so bad. Look at them. I'm not so bad. Look at my brother. I'm not so bad. Look at my whatever it might happen to be. You're not so bad, are you? Come on. You're okay. It's the rest of the world, right? The whole world is mad except me and thee. And sometimes I question thee. <laughs> I'm clever. I'm all right. Everyone else is wrong and crazy and mad and Jesus brings Peter to a point where he recognizes the dysfunction of his own life and it was all so very very important because one day this man would become a foundation cornerstone he would become a, an apostle in the church of Jesus Christ 
He would be a foundation stone in what you and I are, part, are a part of today. In the, in the, the millions uh, of us, the multiplied hundreds of millions of us that meet around the world today in forums not unlike this, in larger ones and smaller ones, right? That, that join with us and sing songs like, God is so good, hallelujah. And that song's probably gonna be sung today you know, tens of thousands of times around the world. And we've just added our voice into that holy choir Peter was one of the foundation members of the church. Peter had an amazing future, but God had to bring him face to face with his past before he could release him into his future. And God does the same for us. Here's the thing. God used that denial to bring Peter to a point of deliverance. And God uses the pain and he uses the, 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 the suffering and he uses all the unfairness and all, all of the, the insecurity of your past to bring you face to face with who you really are. And the thing I love about this is that when Jesus doesn't say to Peter, Peter, you said you'd never deny me and then you did. I can't trust the word that you say. I don't know whether to believe what you say or not, Peter. You're dead to me. You're out of my life. He's not like a nagging partner. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, he doesn't condemn Peter. He just, with, with such skill and, and, and such subtlety, he brings Peter to a point where Peter recognizes himself, the darkness and the shallowness of his own soul. And, then, and, and once he does... What does God say to him? Well, you're on a good behavior bond now for three years, all right? That's what the code of conduct says. If you deny Jesus, you're out. <laughs> and so you're out for, for, you know, let me just check what the, what the code says. I see. Denial of Jesus is two years. So you're out for two years, then you can come back. No, this is what he says. You've got to get this. Peter, you have recognized the darkness of your own soul. Now you're in charge. That's worth a clap. <laughs> hey, when you recognize the darkness of your own soul, God says to you, you're in charge. You don't have to go through a, you know, a whole process whereby well, you've got to prove yourself and that you can say, you know, can you be trusted? No, no, no. Once you have come to grips, once you've come face to face with the pain of your past and recognized your role, God ain't there saying, I told you so. God isn't there saying, I don't trust you. The minute you recognize it, God says, hey, we're going forward together, buddy. You're in charge. He goes on and says this in verse 18 of 21, John 21. Verily, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll be stretched out your hands. You're going to be vulnerable like I was. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. What's he talking about? That's sort of strange language. And so John actually says, they won't know what this means, so I'd better write it down. So he says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. So basically what he's just told Peter is, Peter, you're going to be crucified too. And Peter was, because that's what happens 
when you commit yourself to feeding lambs and looking after sheep, all right? Don't expect people to embrace you and pat you on the back, all right? Don't come to me and say, oh, but they've, you know, they've turned their back on me or, or I feel used. You know, I went, I went out of my way to help those people and they did the dirty on me. Hey, that's been going on since time immemorial, my friend. That's what we are called to do. That's why God says to you, do you love me more than the cultural definition of success, which might be me being appreciated? Do you have to be appreciated? If you have to be appreciated by them, that means you haven't been appreciated by me. Because once you've been appreciated by God, the appreciation of men means nothing. So, uh, all of this is predicated, I reckon, on, on verse 5. If, it, it, it sound, if, if, you take, if I stop right now and you take this away, right? I reckon it brings more pain than joy because I reckon verse 5 which I didn't read I'm going to read now is is the linchpin I reckon if you miss verse 5 you miss the power that allows you to do this right and verse 5 says this when Jesus remember I said he he turned up on the shore and they're out in the boat and and this is what Jesus calls out to them verse uh, verse 5 the first part of verse 5 in chapter 21 Uh, Jesus called out to them, friends, friends. Some translations use the word children. But all commentators agree that the word Jesus used there was a colloquialism. It's a slang word of affection. It's kind of like if you were, I don't know, in the the ghettos of, 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 of uh, New York City, you might say homies, you know. In, if you're uh, English, they might say lads, hey guys. It's kind of like, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a word that communicates, you're my people, I'm one of you. It's a, it's a word that communicates love. It's a word that communicates belonging and affection. He calls them friends. I'm not calling you a servant. I'm not calling you uh, someone who is, who is estranged from me because of what you've done. I'm calling you my friend. And if you don't get this, you see, here's the thing. You can become a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, you can become one. But you won't stay a Christian if you follow the call of God and you're not a friend of Jesus. You'll get cynical, angry, and, and, and you'll you just get you know, fed up with this church and you'll go to another church. You get fed up with that church and you go to another church, you get fed up with that church and go to another church, you get fed up with that church and go to another church. A lot of people do that. <laughs> go here, there, here, there, here, there, here, there. You, you actually can't separate God from the church. So some people say, oh, you know, I, I serve God, but I just don't like the church. And Jesus is talking here about the community of the body of Christ and that you've you got to find God in that. And if you're not a friend of Jesus, it won't work. Because if you don't get your love and acceptance from Jesus, you'll look for it from other people. And other people are going to let you down and you'll get disappointed with it. If, if you don't look to Jesus for your supply, you'll look for your supply from people. And people won't do what you want them to do. And then you'll justify all of your you know, uh, disappointments and angers and so on and so forth and, and, and you'll move away. God, Jesus could speak to Peter like that because he first called him friend. And Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus has an incredible future for you. I've actually been to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Peter had no idea when he was fishing that day that one of the most ornate pieces 
of architecture in the world 2,000 years later would be named after him. He had no idea. <laughs> he had no concept that he was going to write uh, a letter that would be published in a thing we would call the Bible and that would become the biggest selling book of all time. He had no idea what lay in his future and neither do you have any idea of the significance of your future and of the people that God has called you to touch if you never come to grips with the past and why that's happened in your life? So let me give you three quick things and then we're gonna pray. Three things to, that to help take you on that process. The first one is this, feast with him. Have a meal, Peter had a meal with him on the shore. Revelation 3, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, come in. I will have a meal with him. Uh, there's something about having a meal that, that, that creates relationship. Now, now, you might say, but I don't, can't eat with Jesus. You know, he's he he not hungry anymore. Uh, he's not in an earthly body. Listen, uh, have a look beside you. Just have a look, quick look around, quick look around. You just saw Jesus. Have one of them for a meal, okay? <laughs> uh, Jesus is now manifest in the flesh, right? We are the living, breathing body of Christ. Christ is here by the person who's next to you or behind you or in front of you. Have a meal with them, right? Uh, particularly if they're not of your homogeneous group, right? Particularly if they're not of your status or whatever, have a meal with them. It's having a meal. It's fellowshipping with Jesus. You've got to fellowship with Jesus. You've got to fellowship with the body of Christ. That's what you've got to do, folks. It's the first thing Peter, Jesus did, had a meal with them. It's a spiritual thing to do. Don't just come to church for Sunday, sing a few songs, have a meal with the body of Christ. Number one. Number two, fail with him fail with him recognize the failures in your life the pain in your life and own it don't say oh but Jesus you got to understand they were going to do this and oh God he didn't justify his failure he merely owned it he didn't say well I was under a lot of pressure Jesus cut me some slack he just owned it fail with him when Peter failed with Jesus Jesus made him in charge that's how important your failure is. If you can own your failure, Jesus can elevate you. But as long as you justify it and compare yourself and, you know, whatever, whatever, it's just not going to get there. Feast with Jesus, fail with Jesus. And the last thought, guess what? Start with F, right? Well, we're on a roll. <laughs> and this one came from Jesus. Well, they all came from him, didn't they, really? Peter failed him, he feasted him. Last thought is this, follow him. His last thing he said to Peter was, follow me. <laughs> and the next thing Peter says, which is, you'll have to read this later, right? Running out of time, this is hilarious. Peter, so Jesus says, Peter, you're gonna get crucified, follow me. This, it's gonna end badly for you, okay? And Peter says, what about him? <laughs> John, what about him? <laughs> Okay, it's not going to go well for me, but what? So he gets a free ride? That's not fair. <laughs> oh man, we frustrate him sometimes, don't we? <laughs> and what does Jesus say to Peter? Read it when you get home. Shut up, basically. <laughs> basically, that's what he says. He says, if he's still alive when I come back, what is that to you? In other words, John may still be alive when I come back in the second coming. Now, that obviously didn't happen. But what is that to you if he lives for the next 2,000 years and you die on a cross? Peter, follow me and get your eyes off Facebook and everybody else, if you know what I'm saying. 
Don't worry about what everyone else is doing, mate. Just follow after me. Feast with me, fail with me, and just follow me. Don't worry about the blessings and the cursings and the ups and downs and the vicissitudes of other people's lives. Just follow me. Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray. Father, I thank you today that you long to feast with us, that you long to sup with us, to have a, a meal with us, to fellowship with us. Lord, and in a world where there is a community that is just so disoriented and disenfranchised, so much pain and suffering, what a wonderful, wonderful thing it is to come here this morning, to feast with you in your word. Just where heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I, I do want to ask you in this room, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. He says to you, follow him. Now, one of the steps that you need to take in that terms of that following is, is baptism. Right? He says, follow me through the waters of baptism. He led the way. That's a formal kind of a thing. And, and, and look, if you've, you're not following Jesus and you need to, maybe you've been baptized and you've stopped following, or maybe you've never been baptized, but you need to do that. You need to follow after Jesus. Just, just before uh, I, I pray a prayer uh, and walk off this platform, do I, can I pray for you? If you say, yeah, I, I want to follow after him allow me to pray for you if that's you just take your hand and give me a, a wave so I know who to pray for God bless you someone else this morning just give me a wave and I'm going to pray for you as well this morning in Jesus name just give me a wave and I'm going to include you in my prayer hallelujah thank you Lord Father Lord I pray that, that each of us would take the next step in following your plan and purpose for our life in Jesus name Amen